Before this week's episode, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the disturbing increase in anti-Asian hate, culminating in the mass shooting terrorist attack in Atlanta earlier this month. We stand with the AAPI community and unequivocally denounce racism in any form. This podcast has provided us an incredible opportunity to look beyond our own privilege. We also want to acknowledge that our love for Claudia and the Kishi family was one of the major inspirations to begin the podcast in the first place, and our evolving understanding of how the series reinforces AAPI stereotypes and uses Claudia's race as a shallow attempt to make her exotic rather than explore her culture and heritage has been one of our key takeaways from revisiting the books. We are certainly imperfect allies, but we are both committed to using our platform in whatever way possible to stand for what we believe in. We will be sharing links to resources and ways you can help on our social media. In addition, we highly recommend the Claudia Kishi Club documentary on Netflix as a great starting point to understanding the impact of Claudia's cultural representation, both the positive and the negative. When that was released last summer, we also had the chance to talk with one of our listeners, Anna Nguyen, about Asian representation in the BSC and beyond. That episode, Emergency Meeting Number 9, A Conversation with Anna Nguyen, is available on our feed, and Anna's insights are definitely worth revisiting. Stop Asian Hate. I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we deep dive into the Babysitter's Club book by book and talk about it. Uh, that, <laughs> that was such an anticlimactic. <laughs> yes, and obviously talk we it. talk about it. <laughs> and talk about it. Yes. That, that is the concept of what podcasting is. Yes. <laughs> Crazy but true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Um, a year and plus in, and we're just we're just getting to the crux of it. Um, so we're going to talk about it uh, from our perspective as two thirty-something women who grew up loving the books and are looking back at them from now from an adult perspective, um, and and really seeing how Babysitters Club continues to fit into the world today, and how generations more and more people are joining the Babysitters Club every. Every day. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, without me getting too, too cheesy on it, um, let's talk about what book we're, we're looking at today. What are we reading today, Kate? We are reading Mallory and the Mystery Diary, which is book 29 in the regular series. So this came out in November 1989, uh, and this is one of our last, actually, Anne M. Martins. So we got to savor these while we can. <laughs> and it really did. To me, this had just uh, that... I don't know, special something that's really hard to put your finger on for a book that there's not a ton of like big things happening. Mm-hmm. There's not as much deep as as we've gone in some of the recent books, but it was so much fun. What mm-hmm. about you? What were your overall? Yeah, I I really loved this one. And again, I do not recall reading this one. I think, like I said, I think in our predictions last week, I said, I don't remember reading a lot of Mallory books because I remember disliking Mallory. So I sort of skipped over them is my recollection. So Mm -hmm. this was just such a fun book to read. And like, I love when, and I I can't wait for us to get to the actual mysteries because I remember really loving the mysteries, but like, I love when they have like a mystery in just like a regular Babysitter's Club book and it's not a mystery tied to like, 
Cokie Mason bullying our girls. You know, like this is this exactly. is a mystery, but it's not like who's sending me these like terrible notes, who, you know, kidnapped Tigger, whatever. Like it's just you know, all the girls are like into this mystery and like want to figure it out. And it's just fun to see them sort of try to figure it out. And eventually, spoiler alert, they end up solving the mystery. So it's it's just a it's fun. It's a light book. We get some more insight into Mallory. And I've grown to love her even more than I already did, which is just great. I It was a good book. I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I fully am with you on the Mallory love growing every time we interact with her. Throughout this whole book, I I couldn't get over. I was like, why did I hate her so much? Mm-hmm. She's just rad. So I'm I'm excited to get into it. Which now that we've you know talked all about how excited we are about this mystery, let's tell everybody what mystery we're solving this book. So Mallory and the Mystery Diary, the back of the book description. Mallory and Claudia are helping Stacy unpack from her move back to Stony Brook, and when they find an antique trunk in the McGill's attic, Stacy doesn't want the dusty thing, so she gives the trunk to Mallory, who finds an old diary in the bottom of it. The diary once belonged to Sophie, a girl who lived in Stacy's house in the 1890s. As Mallory reads deep into Sophie's diary, she discovers a mystery. There may be ghosts that haunt Stacy's house. The babysitters have one big mystery on their hands to solve because Stacy's house isn't big enough for her, her mom, and a family of ghosts. <laughs> okay, that cracks me up. We're back end. to a little bit of the more dramatic flair on the back of the book for this one because, yes, that is the, – the ghosts haunting Stacy's house is referenced in the book, but it's not so much the driving factor in why they want to solve the mystery. <laughs> Yeah, especially because nobody seems to be that convinced that the ghosts are actually real. Like, they're all – like, even Mallory is acknowledging that, you know, we are talking about these ghosts, but nobody really believes it. Mm-hmm. But there's that, like, little bit in the back of your head. I I think as, as you were talking about why you liked this book so much, I think it, what it really solidified for me is that um, – and, and why – these mysteries in particular, especially the low stakes ones, are so much fun for me because this felt very, very real to my childhood where I found something and like wrote a whole story about it in my head and like sort of halfway convinced myself of something mm-hmm. that I didn't actually believe in. But then there's just that little bit of enough of that little bit of doubt in the back to make you, you know, go, well, maybe, you know, just really, really fun. So it is a little convoluted though. So why don't you walk us through? the mystery uh, of the diary. Yeah. And I, I, in our recording guide, just to give everybody the heads up, I, I made a note, just this is a book where Mallory is both the main plot and the subplot, but there's so many things that happen <laughs> that the description of the, what actually happened is like a super special because it's so detailed. So <laughs> this is going to be a little long for just like a regular babysitter's club book, but hopefully it'll give everybody the picture of all of the ins and outs of this mystery and what the girls do. Cause it did kind of go all over the place. Like it did. It was very, not like, I guess twisty is a strong word, but like there were lots of steps in this process. Mm-hmm. And if you leave one out, the rest doesn't make sense. Exactly. That, Cause that's the thing. As I was like putting together the recording guide, I was like, okay, doing the summary of the, the plot. And I like kept having to add stuff and add stuff. And I was like, is there any way to pull any of this out? Cause it's like literally a full page is just the two like <laughs> halves of the description. And I was like, 
nope, it's not. So <laughs> everyone, you're going to so hear me talk up. for a little while. <laughs> okay, so the Mallory specific, despite the fact that it's all Mallory in this book, but that's fine. Mallory specific. Mallory takes a welcome to the neighborhood tuna casserole over to Stacy's house and ends up helping Stacy and Claudia take boxes up to the attic where they discover a large, old, and very locked trunk, which Mallory ends up taking back to her house when Stacy and her mom don't want it and Claudia relinquishes any interest in it. Mallory finally lets the triplets bust the locks and discovers old clothes and a diary from 1894 that belonged to a 12-year-old girl named Sophie who lived in Stacy's house. Mallory devours the diary and discovers a mystery. What happened to the portrait of Sophie's mother that hung in her mean grandfather's house until she died shortly after giving birth to Sophie's little brother? That was quite a sentence. (laughs) Okay. So Mallory decides she needs to solve the mystery and prove that Sophie's father had nothing to do with it to confirm Stacy's house isn't haunted by the ghosts of Sophie and her father, which Sophie said would be the case if she couldn't clear his name herself. More on the mystery later. Mallory also spends the book working with Buddy Barrett on his reading as he's having a lot of trouble with it and Mrs. Barrett doesn't have time to help. He ends up learning a lot from Mallory's unusual teaching methods and gets really invested in Sophie's mystery at one session, reading through her diary and other papers he finds in the trunk, ultimately helping to solve the mystery. More on that later, too. He ends the book loving reading and being super grateful to Mallory for all of her help. So the Babysitter's Club generally, it's the book where everyone's obsessed with Sophie's mystery. (laughs) The Babysitter's Club gets very invested in the mystery and decides to work together to solve it. And over the course of the book, they tell everyone in their orbit about the mystery and get them invested as well. They theorize that Sophie's grandfather may have been Old Hickory and or that Sophie's father is the Jared that might haunt Dawn's secret passage and come up with various (laughs) plans that mostly go nowhere. In particular, they decide to hold a seance at Stacy's, for which Christy demands to be the quote-unquote channeler. She shows up in a very, very problematic costume and pranks the other girls by pretending to be Sophie. Christie's related but unrelated babysitting job involves exploring her attic with her siblings and playing hide-and-go-seek to pass a rainy afternoon, where they ultimately decide that the attic is fun during the day, but not somewhere they, any of them would want to go at night. And Stacy's related but unrelated babysitting job involves Charlotte, who leads them in the right direction by pointing out that, quote, things aren't always what they seem, and you sometimes have to look past right look past what what's right in front of your nose, unquote. Ultimately, Buddy's mystery-solving skills gleaned from Encyclopedia Brown, combined with Charlotte's thoughtful comment, results in the discovery of Old Hickory's late-in-life confession that he had had the portrait painted over in his grief and let the town think that Sophie's dad had stolen it, and that the painted-over portrait is also in Stacy's attic, currently showing ships instead of Sophie's mother. The portrait is restored by Stacy's mom and hung over their mantle, and we end the book with Buddy getting a reward for learning to love reading. Whew, that was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was impressive. Um, And when you put it all together like that, there's not a lot about this that makes sense or hangs together in any kind of real way. (laughs) When you like lay it out, like as much fun as it was to read, hearing you like, like bald face just go through the points like that. I'm like, huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's huh. definitely one of those ones where, like, when you're in it, it's great. But if you pull any thread, it's like, that makes literally no sense. <laughs> you know? Like, so, yeah. So that's going to be a great thing for us to have an hour long podcast talking about a book that's going to fall apart if you look at it too closely. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> there's plenty yeah. to talk about, even with the plot maybe not being the tightest and most locked down. Fair enough. Like I said, the thing that I loved most about it is this felt so familiar to me. And and I am really thinking that, you know, 
a lot of my Mallory aversion was likely because I felt so much like Mallory. Mm -hmm. And even this book, you know, opens with her uh, lamenting being 11 and not 13 and how being 11 is what, what did she call it? Such a chore. It's it's such (laughs) a chore to be 11 and not 13. Um, well, and, and she that, also and says, the, if only I were 13 instead of 11, life would be a picnic. Like, oh, oh Mallory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mallory. And then she said that the, this year has felt like a decade. And if the next year feels like a decade again, she's going to feel 30 by the time she's 13. <laughs> and I was like, oh, boy. But I remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling so well of being convinced. And, like, it's even strange looking back in my memory. I, like – feel adult in my memories and look but Mm -hmm. uh, i mean obviously i wasn't but so i I think that there was a lot of that um that thirstiness that i can now look back on with you know like some fondness and um obviously compassion and empathy for mallory but at the time felt so um familiar that i think it was just kind of like too close yeah oh nope (laughs) not ready to to acknowledge how badly i want to be um cool because even then i knew that the, the more you wanted it the less you were right <laughs> it's one of those things yeah i think that that's that's definitely a really good point and i think we maybe have talked a little bit about that before but like mallory and jesse because they were closer in age to us when we were initially reading these books it was like well they're they're too similar to who i am and where i am in my life like 13 definitely is like super mature and cool but like 11 year olds i don't know they can't be that cool and then also the fact that mallory just is so wanting of being cool herself and it's like just chill you're gonna you're you're cool in your own right like and that's what i love is like looking back now it's like mallory you're pretty awesome like i wish that you could say that about yourself and i'm sure i'm sure both of us if we could talk to our 11 year old selves we would say the same thing like you're a cool kid like you don't have to worry about all of these things that you're concerned about but unfortunately we can't talk to our 11 year old selves and you know set (laughs) set ourselves on the (laughs) the path to i don't know being comfortable with who you are sooner in life. I don't know. <laughs> and even if we could, like, I I don't, I would be like, yeah, right. Oh, right. Lady. Yeah. Oh, sure. And if this is what I became, oh, boy. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I mean, sort of. Um, mostly kidding. Um, it, But yeah, it, it, it's, Mallory is so very familiar to me because, I was very uh, like this was the version of romantic that I was too, mm-hmm. where I would like find an object and fixate on it and, and develop a whole story in my head, and like uh, this was kind of magical pre-internet days when you know when you found something you sort of had to make it up for yourself because you couldn't just Google mm-hmm. it. Um, like I found a uh, all I could think of when reading this, I found a class ring and it had an engraving on it. And I was obsessed with this ring and I wanted to know everything about the person who wore it and how it ended up in this like couch that we found at a garage sale and, you know, like had all these romantic stories in there when if that had happened now, chances are a kid would, you know, take a bunch of pictures of it, post it on Facebook. It would go viral and be reunited with the person, which is its own kind of cool. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But there was something romantic about the fact that it was unlikely that you would ever know. Right. Um, you and, couldn't find the answer. That, so you could let your imagination run wild and it it could be anything. 
Exactly. And that feels very much like these, except that by the nature of, you know, being books and having a plot and needing an ending, they do, you know, solve the mysteries um, in, in some and more plausible ways than others. <laughs> like the actual resolution to this mystery is a little bit of a, okay, like how convenient. So just, yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, that's that literally what I did in a trunk myself. somewhere. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess to, to sort of explain for everyone, Buddy ends up I, through the course of the, uh, lessons that Mallory is giving him she tells him at one of their later lessons in the book about this diary and he's like I want to read it can I read it and she's like great he wants to read let's go to my house he can read the diary and then he like sticks his hand in the trunk and finds a magic po- like a hidden pocket that has old hickory's confession and it's like oh okay so you didn't really solve the mystery the mystery solved itself for you Exactly. And if I like if I were one of the parents, it is absolutely likely that I would have just written that note and shoved it in there and been like, "Here." <laughs> oh, surprise. <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing about this. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is like li- like I said in the the description, like literally every person that they tell about this mystery is immediately like, "We got to figure out what happened. Who who could it be? Where's the, where's the portrait? What who who's who's grandfather Hickman? Like, could it be old Hickory?" who's this jared guy i don't know like even like you know stacy's parents i think mallory's parents get into it like everybody's into it (laughs) and it's not just the kids which is so crazy yeah i do like though by the end even mallory acknowledges even i was sick of telling the story over again like (laughs) she's like okay i was pretty bored of it now too um well to be fair by the end she had already told it at least like three times in one afternoon (laughs) so Fair point. It was just so and and like the fact that even who that's so not natural human behavior that that person would like on their deathbed be like, you know, I'm going to write this confession, but not actually tell anybody. Right. I'm just going to like shove it in a trunk and not, you know, the actual thing that that person would do, which would be, you know, restore the painting that they had painted over. (laughs) Like it's another way that it was very clearly the mystery was designed around the plot and not around actual, you know, human Logic. behavior. <laughs> yeah. Um but it was it was fun to read in the moment and right. it was really it, it's so fast that you don't get hung up on that stuff until I mean that I did. I side eye a little bit. And then the fact that the painting happened just happened to be in Stacy's attic too when actually none of these things were in Stacy's attic to begin with, like, it, it's all very um, uh, convenient. We'll put it that way. But right. Uh, but the wildest part about the whole thing was the part of the resolution in which Stacy and her mother decided that the most appropriate thing to do with this random painting of a random woman is put it over their mantle in the living room. <laughs> like, what? Well, and also Why? the fact that Stacy's mom was like, Yes, let's spend money to get this painting restored. Yes. Like, because I can't, I, I have never looked into, you know, art restoration, but I can't imagine it's cheap. And so how much money did she spend to get this portrait fixed, you know, to get rid of the ships over Sophie's mom? Like, right. I mean, I guess that's the thing. You They have to hang it over the mantle now because they spent a shit ton of money on it. <laughs> Well, isn't that one of Stacy's mom's major characteristics? She spends money frivolously, so uh, that that tracks. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, but, but still, like, 
What a creepy, like, can you imagine going into their house? So, you know, newly single, Mrs. McGill out, ready to mingle. She brings a date home. They're like, oh, oh interesting. Right. Um, oh, is that? who is this? <laughs> right. Is that some distant relative? Oh, it's some woman who used to live in this house. <laughs> My daughter and her friends <laughs> solved a mystery about this painting, so we hung it above the fireplace. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I think I would be like, oh. Okay, um, so I'm gonna go. <laughs> right, so, I, I, I think I need to go wash my hair. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Right, so wild. Oh my god, it was so funny, but there isn't really like there isn't a lot of there there. That's kind of it. Um, other than to say that I would have been all about the trunk as well, and would not have wanted to ruin the lock. I would have been way more obsessed with the trunk than the diary. Like the diary I probably would have read once, mm-hmm. but the trunk is very my speed. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, all the clothes in the trunk, like mm-hmm. I I probably would have if I was Mallory cuz the clothes all fit Vanessa. And so I if I was in Mallory's shoes, I would have been so upset that the clothes were yep. my little sister's size and not my size because I think that like the having the trunk would be like top priority and then the clothes would be second priority and the diary would be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I would read it and I'd be like, interesting, but I wouldn't get like all invested in the mystery. But like the clothes and like the the, because there's like shoes and like brooches and stuff, I would have been like all about that. And if I could not have put those clothes on the way Vanessa did, I would have lost my mind because I would have been so disappointed. (laughs) See, I probably would have had a Ouija board seance because she did sophie is the one that says well we're gonna haunt the house if my dad's name isn't cleared Mm -hmm. so this at at least this ghost idea didn't come out of nowhere the way that like it sometimes does where they randomly leap to someone used to live in this house (laughs) it must be haunted aka karen (laughs) (laughs) um ben brewer used to live here therefore he haunts here. Well, and even um, Dawn's secret passage, like, they think that that's, Jared, yeah. whatever his last name is, haunts it because, like, his family left and he didn't go with them. Like, why does that mean he died in the tunnel and became a ghost? Like, <laughs> Right. Well, at least at that one they had, like, weird noises. That's true. So that there was a – so something. But in any case, in this book, it's Sophie saying – being a – typical dramatic 12-year-old and being like, if I don't clear my father's name, we'll haunt this house forever. Um, so I can see myself being intrigued and and going the Ouija board route mm-hmm. for that. Um, but I, that's the kind of thing that we would fully be like laughing while we did it. Like, oh my God, <laughs> there's no way this girl is actually haunting this house for a painting. Right. But we would still do it. Uh, we would not, however... Uh, go the incredibly problematic route where I literally went, oh, no, Mm -hmm. um, while reading this book. So it starts with the slur for Romani, which, you know, right off the bat, that is definitely one where it's been pretty recent, I would say the last five, ten years or so, that I've really understood that that was a slur and, and learned more about about the Romani people mm-hmm. and, and how they're represented in, in culture, because for a long time that was just sort of um, accepted, especially right. even in our childhood. I mean, look at uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame or Notre Dame. Isn't that they, they, they call it Notre Dame in the um, animated movie? It's been a long time since I've watched that one. I've never seen the entire thing, so I don't remember. 
I don't know. Now I'm gonna. Now I'm curious. Firing up Disney Plus after we're done here. I remember the the music from that one being really good, but I also remember very vividly the Esmeralda character, um, being you know super stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Buffy's another one that was very stereotypical and leaned into some un uncomfortable uh, stereotypes about the Romani people and. In this book, Christy just wanders in, you know, headscarf, jangly bracelets. How exactly do they describe it? Did you uh Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's part of the fashion watch. Okay, but I, I think it makes sense to talk about it here. So she comes in to Stacy's house to have the seance, and I won't use the the you know slur that uh Mallory uses to describe Christy, but then she says, um, she'd put on false eyelashes and bright red lipstick, and on her cheeks were big blotches of rouge. Her clothes were amazing. She was wearing a baggy ple- peasant blouse, a long flowing skirt with gaudy flowers printed on it, and tons of jewelry, beads around her neck, and bangles up each arm. On her head was a turban. Yikes. Mm. Yikes, yikes, yikes. I mean, just and they laugh and laugh and like it is just uncomfortable to realize that this is what we grew up with mm-hmm. and there was zero interrogation of it and no i mean this is not played for as a teaching moment this is th- i'm sure there was no thought about this at all it was just it was literally meant for us as readers to be laughing at it right. and laughing at the antics of Christy and and the gang and ha 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 how funny and oh that is, that is uncomfortable i mean I mean, it's it's longer ago than I would like to admit it was, but it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also just like the way that they sort of laugh, not just about Christie's, you know, portrayal of this caricature, but the whole seance concept. They're just sort of laughing through the whole thing and making fun of it, and like. I I go back and forth on how much I believe in, like, ghosts and spirits and, you know, things like that. But, like, there are people who do take, you know, being a medium mm-hmm. and, like, communicating with people who have passed on. Like, that's a serious thing for some people. So that, that too, the fact that, like, they don't really know what they're doing, but they're like, oh, you I, I can't remember exactly how. But it's like, you know, you sit around a, a table and, you know, somebody talks to a ghost and then they fall on the table or something like that. I'm, I'm trying to find the actual language. Okay, so they're talking about – Mallory suggests that they have a seance at Stacey's house. And one of them asks, you know, what's a seance? And so this is, you know, Christie's description. So before I could answer, Christy said, so when a person wearing a turban on her head goes into a trance and the voice of George Washington comes out of her mouth, then she collapses on the table from the effort of it all. And then so Mallory trying to be, you know, more, I don't know, respectful, quote unquote, is not she's not really that much more respectful. But like she's like, oh, God, Christy, I can't believe you would say it like that. So then Mallory says a seance is when a group of committed people get together in the hope of contacting a spirit. They sit around a table holding hands and one person, the channeler, calls for the spirit. If the spirit is around, it begins speaking through the channeler. Then the others can ask questions, can ask the spirit questions like that's a slightly nicer and nicer again in scare quotes description, but it's also like you guys don't actually know what you're talking about, and it's a little bit ridiculous that they're like, "Oh no, 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 this is what it is," and it's like these silly surface level descriptions and without actually taking into account like what if you do believe in these things, what you know everyone needs to be like all in and you know acting in a certain way, and obviously, I don't know much about seances and 
contacting people who have passed on, but like, I certainly wouldn't just be like, oh yeah, let's just have a seance. And this is what you do. You sit around a table. <laughs> you know, what's really fascinating as, as you were talking about this and I was thinking about the, that there is this level of assumed, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's a lack of respect that comes from the assumption that this is not real in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is definitely a byproduct of this dominance of Christianity in Western culture, but especially in the United States. There is this assumption that Christianity is the correct religion mm-hmm. and this one nation under God is a, is a Christian God and 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 that other religions – have it wrong and they're misguided and whatever and and I think that that is really what we're seeing in in things like this where we're talking about it more but I think that that we still have a long way to go there that anything that is a spiritual practice that is not Christianity adjacent or even worse is somehow opposed to something about Christianity it gets immediately dismissed as kooky or offbeat Mm -hmm. or um, lesser than some way when specifically like we've I know that we've talked about it you know indigenous cultures before we've talked about it around like crystals and and some more new age um, philosophies that are are new age in the sense that they were co-opted by you know white people a Mm -hmm. lot of white women and and that's not to say that all white women who use crystals don't have the uh, you know, are are doing it as a joke. I think we've we had that conversation. Yeah. That for some people, they are using it reverent reverently. It is something that they they truly believe in, and I just I think that that's one of the um real downsides of this overemphasis on Christianity as the only right way is that we're raised with less reverence for other approaches, other spirituality, other spiritualism in general. And it leads to this kind of casual dismissal that we don't think about that is, that is not, I mean, this was written and presented for children. Mm -hmm. um, And it was the messaging that, that no one in the writing or editing or promotional process went, you know, we may find this silly, but there are people who actually truly believe this and practice this. Mm-hmm. And these practices have, have been all around for hundreds and thousands of years. Some of them even predate Christianity. Right. And there's an arrogance involved there, I think, that really is 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 bothersome. That is easy to miss when it's, you know, a silly little plot point in a book like this. But that's one of the reasons I love being able to do this podcast is – that, you know, I, I certainly wasn't thinking about that as I was reading this book. Um, but, you know, once we start to dig into some of the finer points, stuff like that comes up. So um, it, it, it's just fascinating to me the way that anything that doesn't look, quote unquote, normal is um, it, it is somehow open to um, derision or sort of a point and stare type of attitude. I don't know if that even makes sense, but um or if you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, I mean I I think I think it's definitely you know cuz and I, we don't get a lot of like specifically Christian things in these books, but anything that doesn't fit with that, they do sort of take the opportunity to be like 
let's joke about this. Like, look how silly this concept is. You know, like, because even Mallory, who's the one who suggests the seance, she herself is not really taking it seriously. You know, and not just in the description, but like when they're actually doing it, she's just sort of like, oh, well, whatever. I, You know, I was hungry, so I didn't really care anymore. So it's like the, yes. the most serious one in the group herself is not really even that serious about it. So it's just easy for all of them to be sort of like, oh, whatever. Oh, Christy's playing a prank on us. Obviously, Sophie was never going to talk to us anyway. Like, I, I don't really believe in this. And it's like, well, if if you didn't really believe in it, then like, maybe you just shouldn't have gone there. And like, obviously, we're we're talking about <laughs> the, the actual like, thinking of a fictional character. So like, obviously, the books aren't going to get to that. But like, it would have been nice if like, someone had raised it. And, you know, maybe Mallory would have been like, you guys, we don't really know what we're talking about. Let's not go there, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of, you know, someone mentions it as like, I've heard of this concept. And they, you know, use that opportunity to say, none of us knows what that actually means or looks like. So let's not try and do it ourselves. And like, but then from the other perspective, like, I know, you know, it's like the Ouija board thing. Like, when we were kids, we were definitely trying those things. So it's like, I can understand why this is here, but also, like, it's not (laughs) – these aren't actual children. Like, these are children who are being written by adults and lots of people have input and, like, editing and all of that. So, like, the fact that they just left it without having any sort of opportunity or taking the opportunity to comment on it and sort of drive that home to, you know, the kids like us that we're reading that would maybe say, huh, maybe I shouldn't joke about (laughs) seances because I don't know what I'm talking about. Because I think reading this book, you might be like, oh, that sounds fun. I should do that at my next slumber party and not even think about the fact that like, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You don't know what this concept is. So I think think that's what's disappointing is like – Maybe you have some version of this scene, but you use that as an opportunity to point out that, like, people actually do believe in these things, and this is a very serious thing for some people. So if you don't want to learn about that and you don't feel the same way, like, don't go there (laughs) yourself as, like, a human being in the real world. Agreed. And I I think that the show is definitely making an attempt to be more thoughtful about that, Mm -hmm. especially in their treatment of, um, you know, morbid destiny and her witchiness and then, like, you know, embracing that and talking about, like – what it what that really means mm-hmm. to to be a part of that religion now in a, in in modern times and i mean not in super in depth or anything but it was definitely treated with respect yes. and as an actual valid and um a, as a valid spiritual practice full stop and that is that's really encouraging to see that you know we have come so far in in such a in such a short time but i'd be really curious to see you know, if if this scene, how it would be written today, um, obviously the the uh, Romani slur would not be there, or at least hopefully uh, that's I'd say obviously, but not necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's one that's still a little uh, that people don't you know haven't fully embraced yet, uh, especially around um, derivations of of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. How much that's you know sunk into the culture but it's yeah i i can't imagine i don't know i i I like to think not but i can see how you know a ouija board scene would still happen today i think it would probably be a little bit more respectful though Mm -hmm. 
Um, although what exactly that looks like, I don't, I don't necessarily know either. It just, the whole scene felt really tonally off. Yeah. Um, and it felt, it felt mocking in a way that, um, is unusual for these books because in general, you know, obviously we're calling out the places where they don't do a very good job at it. And especially for the time, they genuinely were trying to engage with some of these things, at least in a way that, that other children's books certainly weren't. Um, or, you know, I, I don't remember very like specifics around Sweet Valley High and Sweet Valley University as much mm-hmm. other than, you know, like, there was more like emphasis on boyfriends and intrigue, but I don't really remember them ever talking about race in those books. I don't recall a single non-white character. Mm-hmm. So at least these books were attempting to engage on some level. And, and I, I think that sometimes contributes to us maybe wanting to hold them to a slightly higher level than is probably fair mm-hmm. for the type of book they were at the time that they were written. Um, but I'd be really curious to see how this scene plays out. Like when they get to the, this book in the graphic novels, yeah, um, how that how that plays out, how they how they make changes like that if they do. So anyway, just just very curious. Yeah, definitely interesting to keep an eye out for that because this is definitely one of the more I don't know problem. Yeah, problematic is probably the right word, but one of the bigger I don't know examples of. More glaring? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a more glaring example of one of those things that were these books written today would probably not be in or they'd be addressed very differently. So I think it would – it'll definitely be something to look at when, we, when the graphic novel comes out because I think – I would hope at least that they do some updating, but I don't yeah. – I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find we'll out. We'll see. At the very least, I don't see Christy dressed the way that she is right. described here. Um, or, or the, or the slur being used. So right. everything else, maybe, maybe we are being overly, uh, in our attempt to be respectful, maybe we are being overly woke, but I, you know, I would always rather be overly thoughtful than, than less. So, so that For was sure. eloquent, but, <laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. So, um, that kind of does it for me on the mystery side of things. Uh, did you have any other main plot thoughts um i don't think so i mean the mystery sort of it just yeah it it sort of is what it is or is what it was (laughs) like it you know there was a mystery and they figured it out in some really convoluted ways i did enjoy just sort of generally that um buddy and charlotte were both able to help you know, point the babysitters in the right direction. So it was, it was nice that it wasn't just the babysitters figuring it out, even with that sort of deus ex machina confession in the trunk. Like there was already, you know, Buddy was already before he found that sort of thinking of how to help solve the mystery, which I really loved. And, you know, he wanted to look for clues in the trunk, which is how he found the confession in the first place. So I really, I, I enjoyed that it wasn't just our girls figuring it out themselves. It was fun to get some other people involved. Agreed. Although the Charlotte part really made me laugh because that seemed like such a like horror movie trope, like a creepy little like wise beyond her years little girl being like, sometimes it's deeper than you like or what I can't remember exactly what she says but basically like look beyond (laughs) the things aren't always what they seem to be. Sometimes you have to look past what's right in front of your nose. 
Yes. And it was, I was like, oh, I was like, I feel like this is where the spooky music would kick in. And also, like, that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it does. But like, that's just like such generic advice. Like, look beyond what, well, and what it seems to be. Even before that in the scene, apparently, like, Charlotte's like a baby murderino or something. She watches a show called Court TV or Crime Crime Court. She, yeah. <laughs> so, but then she also says this, you know, when, when uh, Stacey's telling her about the mystery, you know, Charlotte gets very into it, obviously. And she, she says that she doesn't believe there's any mystery that can't be solved. And this is what she says. Because somebody always knows something. Somebody took the painting or somebody hid it. And maybe someone saw what happened. And if no one saw, then at least the thief knows what he did. And chances are he'll make a mistake sometime and a secret will be out. And, like, that sort of is what ends up happening, like, the confession. But, like, the fact that this, you know, like, nine-year-old girl who watches Crime Court and is, like, very into (laughs) mysteries and she's, like, somebody always knows something. And, like, I think there's a podcast, like, someone knows something or somebody saw something. And it's, like, that's very true. Like, there's always – there's always some way for for a secret to come out. And I just love that it's – Charlotte, like you said, the the horror movie, you know, kid that's wise beyond her years, you know, saying things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to come out of a child's mouth. And it's, you know, kind of (laughs) creepy. Oh, and speaking of creepy in that scene, um, Stacey says that if she ever gets married and has kids, she hopes she has a daughter just like Charlotte. And I'm like, there's a lot going on in that like one sentence. And it's, again, kind of creepy. And I don't know if we need to like dive deep into just that one sentence. But like, I just, I couldn't let that pass. Since we're talking about Charlotte, I had to point out that Stacy had some very, I don't know, weird thoughts about getting married and having kids and having a kid like Charlotte. (laughs) I definitely noticed that as well. Because I definitely shook my head like that is such a heteronormative mm-hmm. you know it's 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 wild how much that um life path is ingrained in us from such a young age that at 13 she's like gee i hope my future kids are as cool as this one one day with as if it's just like a foregone conclusion well and also that she's going to get married and then have kids because you can't exactly you can't just I mean. have kids without being married or even having yep. any kind Good of partner point. like you know Stacy you could just have a kid yourself you don't need anyone but exactly yeah okay i i don't you're right i don't think we need to we could I, <laughs> that I could be a whole going episode. for another <laughs> yeah so had that off at the pass the subplot was just you know sort of there Mallory was helping buddy but it was another instance of a subplot where like as much as I enjoy when the girls model good behavior, there is a fine line between modeling good behavior and being completely unrealistic and like to the point where it makes the parents look like children. Yep. Um, because this is another one uh, I'm reminded of Claudia and the sad goodbye where, you know, Claudia like straight up dresses down the parents and are like, you need to take, you need to be parents to your kids. And in this one, Buddy is behind in reading, which is a massive, like, major issue for kids. And it's like entrusted to an 11 year old as if that's sure. I mean, I can see how that would be helpful. But mm-hmm. for Mrs. Barrett to just act like, oh, good, my son is having massive reading difficulties in school, but the 11 year old's on it. So, well, and even done. T- backing a step up beyond that. Mrs. Barrett doesn't even have the idea to 
hire someone to be a tutor. Dawn suggests to her, maybe one of the other Babysitter's Club members could help tutor Buddy. And Mrs. Barrett's like, that's such a great idea. I should do that. And it's like, come on, Mrs. Barrett. And, And like the fact that Mrs. Barrett is just like, I don't have time to help Buddy. Like, yes. What? But okay. But yeah, to your point, like Mallory is able to teach Buddy over the course of like four lessons enough about reading that he moves up from, you know, whatever to Robbins and he wants to be a hawk by the end of the year because that's like the accelerated or advanced readers. And it's like, that's really great. But like, I mean, I I don't even know because like he's doing really terribly on the flashcards the first time Mallory goes to work with him, and he only gets like six words right or what. I mean, I don't really know exactly what flashcards are doing to help with reading. I feel like reading a book might be more exactly. helpful, but but it's just like, but so they do like the regular lesson with you know his worksheets and his flashcards, and then Mallory's like. I know I'll bring comic books and we can read comic books and then we can write our own comic books and that'll teach him to like reading and like, and then, you know, Oh, we'll read encyclopedia Browns and he can figure out a mystery and then he'll read this diary. Cause he likes mysteries. And it's like, it's just very convenient that it's like Mallory. Mm-hmm. And, well, and even Mallory, after I think the first lesson that she had, she's like writing in her journal and she's like, Man, teaching sure is hard. I'm glad I decided to be a writer instead of a teacher. And like, that's its own thing too. But it's like, Mallory just comes up with these like brilliant ideas to help make a kid want to learn how to read and like improve his reading and actually love to read, which is great. Anything anyone can do to make a kid love reading, I'm all for it. But like, the fact that Mallory just like suddenly comes up with these ideas, it's like, she's like a Mary Sue of, teaching kids how to read or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) like not everything's going to be perfect and again it's a 15 chapter book that also has this mystery main plot so there can't be that much focus on it but like the fact that it's just sort of like yes just do these couple things and your kid will love to read too like no (laughs) it doesn't work that way (laughs) yeah that's what i mean i i think convenient is the word you use that really stood out for me there because it is it like it's convenient that Buddy's problem appears to be primarily motivation based mm-hmm. and not an actual issue with his reading the way that it, the teacher made it sound when he first came on. So of course, you know, Mallory's solution was pretty simple: find him things that he's interested in reading, right? And then he'll want to learn. And that you know what? That's that's great. That makes perfect sense, and and it works wonderful. Except. That works and is super convenient if the kid's issue is not an actual, like, learning disability or actual difficulty with reading and it's just about motivation. And it doesn't get presented as a motivational issue. It gets presented as he has trouble reading. Right. And I can see how this could be troublesome if you are a kid who does have issues reading. You know, all you really need to do is try harder or to want it more or to just find – you know, something that you're interested in reading and then that solves all the issues where if you are dyslexic or if you have other types of learning disabilities or hell, even ADHD, that there are, you know, other things that make it difficult to read than just, you know, finding the right comic book. Right. So that was, uh, that's one of the ways in which I think these, these books in its, in their attempt to, um, teach lessons in in an attempt to get some of these Danny Tanner moments, it oversimplifies some things Mm -hmm. in a way that 
I understand why it's happening. They're they're aimed at children, but I don't know that that's helpful for children. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, I mean, I without <laughs> basically saying everything you just said, I think that it's it's not helpful to have the issue be something easily solvable. And like again, it has to be easily solvable, but it's not helpful for kids to read books about these problems being solved so easily when they themselves might have similar problems that can't be solved as easily. And it's, un- exactly. it's unfortunate that mm-hmm. there's, there's just not a better opportunity or maybe not opportunity, but you know, not a, uh, there's not a better way to maybe sort of prolong this subplot with buddy over several books and have it be, you know, in this book, he starts his lessons with Mallory and, you know, maybe he does help solve the mystery, but he's still having trouble learning and reading. And so, you know, they bring in an actual tutor. I mean, and again, that makes no sense because then that's not really the babysitter's club. It's like somebody else. But right, it's th- – that's the problem of these sort of, you know, sort of serialized but not serialized books in that each book mm-hmm. sort of has to be its own thing. And there are some things that carry over – but you can't really have the the story and the plot itself carry over. You know, like obviously you have Stacy moving away and moving back, so that's carrying over, but like the divorce and moving back all happened in one book because it had to happen in one book. Or Mimi passing away and Claudia, you know, working through her grief and getting to a, a better place. Obviously, she's still dealing with the repercussions of that and um, you know, her feelings, but you can't drag these things out. And I, I think I think we're coming up um I think when Don when Don's dad or Don's mom and Marianne's dad get married I think that there's sort of like a sequel book you know like I think that there's like a, a Don book and then a Marianne book that sort of continue but it's very rare that you have any books like that mm-hmm. in this series where you can sort of take the time to do a more nuanced look at a bigger issue and it's that's sort of one of the detriments of the books being structured the way that they are and the series being structured in the way that it is, is that you do have to have these sort of convenient, easy ways to resolve these issues because you only have 150 pages to introduce the problem, work through the problem, and solve the problem. And so it ends up with a lot of these things being very sort of surface level and easy when real life isn't surface level and easy. And so it makes it difficult for kids to maybe take away as much as they could if you were able to sort of go a little bit deeper and have there be real issues. And obviously we do deal with some, you know, quote unquote real issues, you know, Mimi dying, um, Stacey's parents getting divorced, Don's brother moving back to California. Like those are bigger issues. But even those, as we've talked about, it's not you don't get even on those bigger issues as deep a dive as could maybe be helpful for kids that are reading these because you only have the 150 pages to do it. Yeah, I, I there's just not enough space right. for them. I think is what it is. Is that you're exactly right, and it's it's from that that point of view perspective because obviously we're not going to hear as much about Stacy's divorce or Stacy's divorce, Stacey's <laughs> parents' divorce. Um, I want to hear all about Stacy's divorce. That's a good that like that's like a modern day yeah. uh, update. Club. But in in any case, it makes sense because you know we're no longer in Stacy's head. We're in Mallory's, and Mallory would not be 
thinking all about Stacy and her her issues. She would be thinking about her own. So it is, you know, one of the trade-offs of being able to get a diversity of girls who, it, 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 you know, diversity is a strong word, but like at least some variety of perspectives and points of view. And, you know, even we talk about how in um, a Mallory book and a Jesse book, we're more likely to get um, fashion descriptions because of their, you know, idolization of, of the older girls. Whereas in a Christie book, you know, we don't really get that because she doesn't care about fashion mm-hmm. and, and small things like that that are so great. Now that we're a little deeper, now that we know the the girls a little bit better, now that we're getting into some of the more serious books, we're seeing the downside of that, um, mm-hmm. like you said, format of, of the series. So it's going to be fascinating to see if that pendulum swings back as we go forward and how that all plays out. And I had forgotten about the back-to-back Marianne and Dawn books. But well, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's the next two books because I'm looking at my bookshelf and say. I'm like, oh, it's a Marianne book and then a Dawn book, and the Dawn book is Dawn's Wicked Stepsister. So I'm pretty sure our predictions of Marianne and the Great Romance are maybe going to be a little bit more easy to come up with <laughs> now that we know what those next two books are and that they are sequels or you know the second book is a sequel to the first or a continuation of the first. They were laying that groundwork pretty heavily in this one, too, with, you know, that they they must be getting serious. We started to get some of that foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Although they're only having their 25th date as adults. (laughs) Which is so bizarre to me. The way in which – so, I mean, obviously we already had the conversation about the the reading in Mrs. Barrett. But there's a lot of ways in which they make the adults in these books – more childlike and one of them is who counts dates like these are grown-ass people with preteen children Mm -hmm. who have both been married before and like the only time i ever hear about anybody counting dates is until when they can sleep with that person for the first time (laughs) and that's only ever in movies or tv anyway like i've well and the fact that they're it's not only that they're counting the dates but they're going out to celebrate having their 25th date like (laughs) so strange like it's it would be one thing if it was like we've been dating for six months or a year or whatever like that makes some sense exactly but like their 25th date and i I, it's sort of interesting that i'm pretty sure that they're going to get married in the next book or be engaged or something but like i guess there is that like history from when they were in high school and they dated but like 25 dates to like married is well but but it's also like they're adults, like they've both been married before. Like when you know, you know. Mm. Like sure, but also you guys are counting twenty five dates and celebrating that as like some milestone. <laughs> like that's great that you've gone on that many dates, but like who cares? <laughs> right. Oh, also, I'm pretty sure that they did it that way instead of a time period for timeline purposes. Mm, that's a good because point. If you. If you actually stop and like think about it, she's also been dating Trip. Right. And they don't go out every single night. So 25 dates, that's, you know, like almost half a year if that's only once a week. Or if that's once a week they date and, you know, not even taking into account all the other people that apparently Mrs. Porter is dating. So, or Ms. Porter, I guess. Sharon. So anyway, like timeline-wise, you that starts to get a little wonky when you're like, wait a minute, right? Has it been 
a year? Has it been half a year? What are we talking about here? So 25 dates. But that's just like when, um, just reminded me of like when parents list their baby's age in months. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. Right. I can't do How many years? <laughs> I don't need, I can't divide by 12 that easily. Yeah. Once you're one, then it's one and a half or, exactly. or two and a half or whatever. Exactly. None of this 36 months bullshit. I don't know what that means. <laughs> too complicated. <laughs> yeah. As if moms don't have plenty to worry about besides me being like, get <laughs> Age your child appropriately. <laughs> oh, all right. So that's my peccadillo um, with the timeline. What about your fashion duties? Do we have anything other than Christy's horrifying one? Do we have anything fun to to look at this month um, or week or episode I would or whatever say the hell this is? There's there's some fun fashion. There's there's because it's a Mallory book. We get a lot of descriptions, um, so I won't read all of them. But you know, there's. Because it's a Mallory book, there's, you know, the one Babysitter's Club meeting where she sort of goes around the room and says what everybody's wearing. So um, I pulled out a couple of those to describe the ones that are a little bit more interesting because, you know, as usual, Christy's in her sweater, turtleneck and jeans. So we'll just skip past her. So Marianne. Mary Ann, who can be pretty funky in her own shy way, was wearing a very cool short printed jumper over a striped shirt. You might think that those two things would clash, but they didn't. They looked great together. The jumper was white with a small red print, and the shirt was white with narrow, widely spaced stripes. Claudia called the outfit a fashion risk that worked. Love that look for Mallory. I love some pattern mixing. Or not for Mallory, for Mary Ann. I mean, I would love it for Mallory, too, because that just sounds like a really cute outfit. I would love to see... um, you know, one of one of the various people we follow on Instagram that like draws the outfits or puts the outfits together. I would love to see this one as an outfit because I think it would be very cute in real life. So agree. That was one that I read and I was like, ooh, I would absolutely wear that. Mm-hmm. So we've got Stacy. I would try to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like I love pattern mixing and like I love when other people do it. But I – even when I like – basically like copy someone else's patterns like you know these stripes and these this floral like when i put it on myself it's like it i it, the mirror just like makes my brain go like no this doesn't work on you even though objectively when i put the patterns next to each other it's like oh yeah that's cute you know it's like a black and white stripe and like a black and white floral and like you know the scale is right to mix together and it's just like but for myself <laughs> like on my actual body i'm like i don't know if i can pull this off <laughs> Yeah, I know. I do that a lot with like decor around my house where (laughs) I love the idea of pattern mixing and like leaning into excess, but then I get nervous. I'm like, okay, do I just look like a crazy person? (laughs) (laughs) Do I just have clutter? (laughs) Has to be like, (laughs) exactly. It's like, is it clutter or is it like artfully arranged tchotchkes? (laughs) Like, Like, it's a fine line between clutter and expertly arranged tchotchkes it's hard you are not wrong you are not wrong (laughs) Uh, okay so stacy at that Uh, meeting so stacy on the other hand was in a much more typical outfit a short sleeve blue and white jumpsuit with cuffed pants uh parts of it were striped parts were solid on her feet were high top sneakers laced only halfway up so that she could roll the tongue of the shoe down extremely cool plus she was wearing a lot of jewelry i think claude made at least some of it for her oh i love that I'm I'm on board with the jumpsuit, but I I'm not sure about the lacing the shoes up to roll the tongue down. Was that like a thing? I don't I don't know. Under- I do remember that. Okay, yeah, 
that was like on the high top ones that you like bent the tongue over and there was sometimes like the pattern on the inside of the tongue. Um, oh, like on for Converse? On, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe I do know what that looks like. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. No. <laughs> I feel like I remember that with like the big slouchy socks where it was like a whole thing. That makes sense. But the jumpsuit I was definitely all about. And I loved the whole like tons of jewelry and that Claude had made her some of it. Like that that to me is super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I just have to read this last one of Dawn because it, it takes a left turn out of nowhere. And yeah. Anyway, so Dawn. Last but not least was Dawn, sitting backward in Claude's desk chair, resting her arms on the top rung of the back. Her outfit was fairly normal, pants and a baggy sweatshirt, but on her head was a small straw hat. I couldn't believe it. Talk about fashion risks. What? That what? blew my mind. What in the actual fuck? Like a straw hat? Like what kind of a straw hat? Like well, a and like small, small like what is, does that mean? Just not like a huge sun hat type? Like a small like a normal hat? Like I have so many questions. Yeah, how small and like why with like a sweatshirt and pants? Like I could see with like maybe a cute dress. You're going for like a look, but like. Right. Just like, I'm just going to throw on a straw hat today, guys. Hope hope you like my look. Like, what? Here's the thing. I love a hat. I wear a hat all the time. And not with sweatpants, not with a t-shirt. Well, t-shirt, depending on how it's styled. But like, the way that the rest of Dawn's outfit is described does not sound like a hat matches that right, look. Right, no hat. No like, hat would match that look. Except maybe like a baseball cap. Uh, not not a straw hat of any kind. <laughs> like, what? So strange. So strange. That blew my mind. I remember being like, is Dawn an individual or does she just have really bad taste? <laughs> right. Right. Is it like, did she actually like, like it? And so, I mean, we know that she's California cool. She doesn't care. But like, did she put thought into that and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Or was she just like, I'm trying to make an outfit. Uh, let's put on this hat. Like, like what? I want to know the thought process of this outfit. I, like, I want Dawn to explain so to us. So many questions. Why she paired that pair of pants with that slouchy sweatshirt with that small straw hat. <laughs> I Small straw hat. I like, I, what? What? Uh, I, like, every word in that description just makes it stranger. The, the, like, the small is bad enough. The straw, like, nothing, none of it. But altogether, it's just wild. What does that even mean? A small straw hat. Ugh. Like, I'm envisioning, like, a small straw, like, fascinator. Right. <laughs> Which, like. Yeah, like, I'm envisioning. Like, jaunty place on the yeah, side of her like head. A, yeah, like a fascinator-sized, like, what I'm picturing as, like, the style of the straw hat is, like, Anne of Green Gables straw hat, but, like, tiny and, like, on a headband on the side of Dawn's head. That's exactly what I was picturing. Oh, my I- God. <laughs> Ugh, so oh, bizarre. small straw hat. I, it just <laughs> – it kind of feels like she's fucking with Mallory. Right. Like, like oh, let's see what, if Mallory loves this look. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what can we get her to buy right. into? Oh, man. That's so funny. Oh, boy. <laughs> So did you have any random one-off thoughts that we should touch on? So uh, we now – I just want to note that we now can add Emily Michelle to the problematic Asian physical descriptions pile because we got our standard Claudia, long, jet black, silky hair, gorgeous, creamy complexion and 
almond eyes and uh now mimi's or mimi emily michelle has the jet black hair as well so and dark um, eyes that are so pleading they could make you say yes to anything yikes yeah oh oh yikes 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 that i know that did have big like oliver energy to me and i was like oh boy um Oh, I did like that Mallory acknowledges that she had a crush on her teacher, but then took that to the conclusion that maybe it wouldn't be so bad if Buddy had a crush on me because it would motivate him. And I was like, oh, no, that's not good. Yeah. It's so creepy. A little bit icky. I was like, oh, no, Mallory, don't, you don't, no, don't encourage that. Just stop. Just don't. Yeah. So those were my big ones. What about you? What were your, uh, what were your stray thoughts? My stray thoughts Okay, actually, I have three. So the first one is just a note that Stacy's house has two staircases, and I love, love houses with two staircases, especially when I was a kid. I was, like, obsessed with that as a concept because, like, Me not too. that many houses in my town had that. So, like, any time I would be at somebody's house that had that or, like, in a movie or whatever, I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I wish my house had that. And, like, it would not work in my parents' house at all. It wouldn't work in the house I own today. Like, but, like, my goal is, like, Someday I will live in a house that has two staircases. I blame at least partially full house for that too. Mm-hmm. But yes, I was super fascinated by houses with double staircases. I, I loved, I liked old houses too, because my house was built in 1985, so it looks very much like a right. suburban 1980 or my parents' house rather. And uh, and it was so it was very generic. So that always to me the the double staircase was always a sign of uniqueness to me, mm-hmm. which you know. It, at 13 was all I wanted. For sure. I also loved this description or this sort of narration from Mallory as she's reading um, Sophie's diary or journal. As I read, I thought how lucky I was. I mean, just to be reading. When you read, you can sit in your room and travel back and forth in time or to other countries or to made up lands or to outer space and all without moving a muscle except to turn pages. Like, love, 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 love that. that. It's like, it's perfect. I mean, because like, and I think you and I have talked about this on and off the podcast, like, reading's the best. <laughs> and that's exactly why. Because right? like, you can do anything, you can be anyone, you can see anything. Like, it's just, reading's the best. I love reading. <laughs> that's super cool. I loved, mm-hmm. I, I highlighted that one too. I was like, yeah, man, I wish I knew Needlepoint and it weren't so long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll have to find we'll, – uh, we'll just ask Jordan. Jordan, please make us yeah. <laughs> some art with this when you're not, you know, just after starting a new job because I'm sure she's busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then my last thing is when Mallory is, you know, all concerned about Stacey's house being haunted and she starts to wonder if ghosts are the reason why people have been moving in and out of that house so frequently because I think she's, you know, 11 and I think she said that there's been like – eight families or something that have moved in and out that she can remember. And I just got me thinking on my like lawyer brain. And like, we read a case in law school about a house being haunted and it not being disclosed as part of the like diligence process. (laughs) And like, if you know that your house is haunted, you have to disclose that. <laughs> so like if that these is people so funny. Right. So it's like if these people knew that their house was haunted they couldn't just like move out and sell it and like not tell someone that there's a risk that their house is haunted. And like, it's just hilarious that like there is legal precedent about haunted houses. That (laughs) is too funny. I did not know that was a thing. And now I think that's my new favorite fact. Yeah, it's great. 
Because I know that there are some states, but not every state, where you have to disclose if somebody died. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that 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 applied to hauntings as well. That is hilarious. And I am going to, like, use that as my fun party fact. Did you know (laughs) that you have to disclose if your house is haunted when you sell it? I love it. All right. Well, then I think it's time for our predictions for our next book. And I know we were talking about um, Marianne and and Dawn and the Wicked Stepsister coming up. But before we get into that wedding, we do have another super special in between. Next up is Babysitter's Winter Vacation. I want to say this one is the one with them throwing snowballs on the cover. I think so. But I think that's all. That might be Snowbound. Oh, no. No, Snowbound, the picture on the front is like two babysitters and a couple kids like looking out a window because I think the Pike kids in that one get like trapped in their house with babysitters. I don't know that I read Winter Vacation. So I'm going to guess they all go on vacation to like a ski resort or something and – some of them have one-off romances. Somebody deals with a kid that they're meeting for the first time. Um, <laughs> what else? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is a ski resort, okay. I want to say. I know at least one of them, one of the winter super specials, I know is a ski resort. And I want to say that one of them hurts their ankle or something. Like they, they – bite off more that they can chew and hurt themselves and end up having to hang out in the lobby air, like the lodge, ski lodge. That's the word I couldn't think (laughs) of. And they meet someone there. Okay. Or maybe that's a plot of Boy Meets World episode. I think that's been the plot (laughs) of a lot of things. It's a, it's definitely a, an easy sort of, oh, everyone else is having fun. What am I going to do? I'm so bored. Oh, now I met this interesting person that's going to only be here for this one episode or this one book. So I, right. I, it wouldn't surprise me though if that were in this book as well, because it definitely feels like something that would be in a babysitter's club super special, you know, where, because I, because stories like that sort of has, have happened in our other super specials to different degrees, obviously not injuring themselves and having to stay in a, a ski lodge. But, you know, Christy meeting the, you know, weird old man who's angry at the world in yeah. <laughs> summer vacation. God, I about him. Oh, what else? Uh, yeah. I, I, Stacy being stuck in the... Exactly. Um, in the infirmary. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it would not so it surprise feel, me. So it feels on brand. Yeah, it feels very on brand. Um, You know, someone will probably get weirdly obsessed with another guest at the resort and sort of follow them around and find out that they're you know, a normal person with their own issues, <laughs> just like in the other books. <laughs> Watch there be like secret royalty or something. Uh, no, we might be pretty early in the super specials for secret royalty. Yeah. That feels like a, a book 20 <laughs> versus super special number three. Yeah, we're, we're a little early for secret royalty. Yeah, still grounded in reality at this point. But either way, I'm super excited to read all about winter while we are still back to freezing here in Cleveland. So let's read more about snowballs and ski slopes, we think. Indeed. (laughs) Okay, so any other final club business? Why don't you just remind everyone where to find us? Okay, well, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC. Or if you want to email us more deep thoughts or questions, comments, concerns, um, you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to you.